know that you may not be successful right away. I think if you're getting into music to make money, that's something you have to get out of your head right away because sometimes it just happens and it takes a long time. I mean, you're not, it'll take you about maybe five, 10 years to be an overnight success. You know what I'm saying? It's something that I've been saying to a lot of folks. Hello and welcome to the EDM Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Matler, and this is a show where I interview successful artists, producers, and industry experts. And today's show is with an industry expert, but he's not your typical industry expert. So normally on the show, we have label managers, we have artist managers, consultants, and so forth. But uh, today's guest is the CEO of a 21-person company called Symphonic Distribution. His name is Jorge Bray. He started the company in 2006. And Symphonic Distribution is a big company. It is behind a lot of artists and labels, and it's responsible for getting their music on platforms like Spotify, Beatport, iTunes, and so forth, which is more involved and uh, complex than you think. So we talk about a bunch of stuff. We talk about uh, what Symphonic Distribution is as a company, uh, what distribution is, how it actually works, uh, whether you should release independently or on a label, uh, pros and cons to both, the importance of consistency and a consistent release schedule, uh, advice for starting a label and should you do it, the challenges involved in distribution and whether it's harder to make it in the industry now uh, or in the past. And that's near the end, so make sure you listen to the whole thing uh, to get to that. Now, Symphonic Distribution have been really kind, and they've put together an exclusive uh, discount code for the artist distribution model. So if you want to get your music on Spotify and iTunes and so forth uh, without having to go through a label, without having to pay expensive fees, you can use Symphonic Distribution. It is cheaper than CD Baby. It's cheaper than TuneCore. Um, they show all that on their website. So this discount code, uh, the discount code is EDMPROD. This is going to waive your $25 sign-up fee. Normally, there's a $25 sign-up fee involved, but you're going to get that for free. So there's no sign-up fee with this code, which is EDMPROD. Um, so if you want to take advantage of that, head over to SymphonicDistribution.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Uh, and if you have any questions, I'm sure you can contact uh, their support. Anyway, without further ado, here is Jorge Brea. I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jorge Brea. Uh, Jorge, how's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I, th- I think a lot of people listening to this, they won't know who you are or, or what you do. And we have sure. a lot of producers on the show. We have a lot of managers, uh, but you're a little bit different. So tell us, first of all, what you do and then how you got there, your background, where you grew up and so on. Sure. Well, first, thank you very much uh, for obviously giving me the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. I really greatly appreciate it. Uh, my name is Jorge Brea. Um, I was born in the Dominican Republic uh, in 1984, so that actually felt like yesterday nowadays, but <laughs> it, it, the more that I'm seeing the youth, I'm starting to feel older and older, actually. Um, ever since I was kind of able to remember, I greatly enjoyed music, I think just as everybody, but I always wanted to kind of 
find a way to be a part of it. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't blessed with the skills of playing instruments and guitar, and drums, etc. But I was a little bit of a kind of like a computer nerd, so to speak. So uh, in my teenage years, I kind of started tinkering around with the computer and you know, kind of playing around with software and making music from there. My brother, who was a huge fan of dance music, um, kind of like bought turntables and I would go with him to their record store and I would essentially pick out records for him. So that was like my first ever kind of introduction really to music. And as I started doing that, I became more and more of a fan of EDM culture and, um, you know, just the style of music. And where I moved from the Dominican Republic to was uh, Tampa, Florida, which was really big kind of haven for Tampa, Florida breaks, as they called it. Uh, Even some of the UK guys like Reddy Pilgrim and some of those guys uh, actually came to Tampa and took away some of that sound as well with them to the production. So Breakbeats was kind of essentially... What? I'm just curious, what year was this, roughly? This was uh, all the way back in like 2001, where I really started to kind of get into the, the music craze. So during summers, you know, I would go with my brother to the record store, pick out records, and then started tinkering around making music on the computer. And I thought, damn, okay, I'm starting to be okay. So I started off just as everyone else, like a producer as well. Uh, I was able to kind of get some of my music released on vinyl records, you know, particularly mostly like Florida-based labels. But then I started working with a few UK ones, um, Mob Records and, and a few others that worked with like Raga Twins and Staircase and so forth. Uh, once you know, I started to release more and more records, I kind of wanted to do like my own thing. I wanted my own record label, but there was kind of a problem. And that was that I didn't have a lot of the funds in order to press the vinyl and the CD, which you kind of needed to, to obviously be recognized. Um, from there, I started to see that there was a trend with you know, iTunes and Beatport and even Napster in a sense where digital was becoming kind of a thing. And I thought, you know, I definitely believe in where this is going and at least I can put out a record label in digital form. Uh, So I ended up doing that in 2004, uh, started that for a few years, you know, actually did pretty well. People were buying music and I think it was because there wasn't that much music available back then. And then I thought, you know, wow, I mean, I'm doing well. I'm starting to help out other artists and kind of now going more into the business side of things uh, from the production side. And I felt like I could actually do this for others. And out of that, essentially, is where Symphonic was born in uh, December 2006. So, If you could explain what Symphonic Distribution is, because I'm sure a lot of people have no clue. Yeah, absolutely. And what I do now, the company, you know, obviously I founded it in 2006. I'm still the, the CEO of it, along with the rest of our team. And what Symphonic does is it's a digital music distributor. So essentially, if you make music, we're the ones that can put it out on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Beatport, and a number of different outlets. Uh, we do other things as well, like creative services, so we can actually help create logos, release covers, and anything really that an artist or even record label needs for their appearance. I have a similar story in the sense that I started out as a producer and I've kind of transitioned into more of the business and teaching side of things. One right. thing I've found hard um, over the past few years is is that transition from I'm not spending as much time on music anymore. Most right. of it's going to the business. I mean, do you still make music or is that, is that completely out of the picture? And what was, was anything challenging about that? 
Yeah, it, it, nowadays, unfortunately, there is a, you know not much time for me to make music. I'm still a huge fan of it. I where I'm at now is kind of where I was when I first started with the music world. It's like trying to discover new artists and just different things for my own personal listening pleasure. Um, you'll find that it is going to get harder and harder as your business kind of starts to take off. Um, and I still tinker around, but now I find myself realizing that my talents are better served in business than they are in music. And it's a little bit tougher to get past just the, you know, messing around stage into actually something that's concrete. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. So you've been running Symphonic for over 10 years now. That's, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank uh, what does what does a day in the life look like for you? Sure. So every single day is a bit unpredictable. Um, you, know, you can wake up and you get kind of just a normal amount of emails and issues, or then the next day can just involve a tremendous amount of technical problems or artists or labels kind of uh, having questions that aren't exactly fun and positive. However, you know, every day is also filled with a lot of productivity and a lot of great things too. I would say. 99% of the time, it's a pretty positive experience. Um, usually, I get about 200 emails a day or so. So, uh, going through all those, uh, setting up new partnerships that can benefit artists and record labels, and even still for me, uh, communicating with artists and record labels. Even though I'm kind of like at the head of the company and uh, you know we have a full team, I still like to be very much kept uh, kind of humble, and I like to talk to clients that we've had since day one or even recently to understand what some of their challenges are. What makes Symphonic different to other companies in your in your space? Sure, so I think what, what uh, one of the biggest things is that we're quite flexible compared to others. Um, there's companies that are focused directly with artists and others that are focused directly on labels. Some of them are specific to genres. On our end, you know, we're open to all genres and we do have a focus for artists and record labels. So we're able to be kind of uh, diverse in that regard. We also have a lot of kind of like additional services that some of our competition doesn't have. The fact that we have an in-house creative team can kind of help give you a certain image, look, and even sound from a mastering perspective that you may not get with other companies as well. Um, I also think that you know we're quite accessible. I mean, we're we're a pretty big company now. We have about 21 employees in New York, Tampa, Florida, and even two now in Spain. Um, but we're still pretty accessible, and I think that that's something that's always been a part of our core that we want to continue to, to have. And aside of that, uh, our pricing is is quite um, you know disruptive because we even have plans that can allow you to get 100% of royalties uh, from support and different online uh, outlets as well. So, if there's an artist who's looking to, you know, they're at the point where their music is good. Uh, actually, let me rephrase this. There's a lot of talk at the moment about whether getting signed to a label is actually worth it or not um because the kind of the feeling i think is that labels don't offer enough anymore um what advice would you give to an artist who's who's got the quality of music there he's just not sure how she he should go he or she should go about marketing it getting it out there distributing it do you think it's still wise to get signed to labels is it a as a case of it depends i mean what are your thoughts on that currently yeah i would say it is kind of a case-by-case basis you know um nowadays you're starting to see a lot of stories of 
artists that are becoming successful without a record label here in the states chance the rapper is probably the biggest example of that now and i think that that's going to happen more and more you know record labels that are major their their focus is shifting as well they're starting to be much more business oriented than the music oriented i would say i mean they're investing in some of these services they're kind of benefiting a lot more from their back catalog etc a lot of major record labels nowadays will not do what they used to do back in the day which is help develop the artist in a way if you do want to be a part of a major you really kind of want to have a good following and essentially be already developed before you kind of go towards that next step uh, so we always recommend to artists and labels particularly that if you do want to be noticed first you got to be consistent with your release schedule um, but understand that you don't want to flood the market and you want to put out quality music and different music i would say as well um, in addition to that ensure that you do have a great online presence so that's your social media ensure that you do have you know professional photos of artists uh, that you may represent if you're a label or even yourself as an artist any pk helps a number of different things and you know even um on our blog not to kind of give a plug to that oh, of but course. We try to a lot of development uh and a lot of tips on that and on our facebook as well and even uh after this podcast as well if you want to circulate links i think that'd be interesting as well so. do you think labels need to change what they're doing i mean the 2005 model for running a label i don't think is working well anymore um right. So my question would be, what do you think labels need to do more of and what do you think labels need to do less of to survive and even thrive over the next five, say, or 10 years? Sure. Well, first, you know, since obviously electronic is a big focus of us and, and your listener base, I do think that anybody that continues to think in the 2005 mindset needs to really look into the future. I mean, Beatport is still a very, very important partner of ours. They're a great bunch of guys. They've done a great job turning things around from last year. But they will even tell you that they want to see artists grow on other platforms and even kind of become a success story everywhere else so that way it can really help the overall electronic dance community. So I think that as a label and as an artist, I think it's important to look at what's working. The industry for the first time ever now is really growing on streaming. and. I think if you're an artist, you really want to put a lot of attention on the Apple Musics of the world, on Spotify, and even YouTube to an extent, uh, to really kind of diversify yourself and start to grow your fan base. Uh, putting out playlists, not necessarily just about your music, but music that you like as an artist is cool and interesting. And branding them to be something more than just a release cover is also interesting. Essentially, what I've been telling a few artists lately is you want to make your Spotify profile uh, just kind of like how you, much attention you put into your SoundCloud profile. Create experiences with it, brand it, and kind of start to build a community around it because every time someone's saying play, there is a royalty being generated. So, you know. I think a lot of people don't understand how distribution actually works or they have a simplified view of it. Uh, could you, if you can, could you explain how distribution works and what are some of the challenges that you face as a company um, offering that as a service? Sure. Yeah. And one of the first things that I've, I've gotten in the past when I've kind of answered this question a little bit is really why someone needs, you know, us or a company like us. And, and that right there kind of is the great way to explain how distribution works. So Spotify, Apple, iTunes and every other online service out there, they have a very different way of how they intake and receive music from people that make it. 
Um, so if you were to deliver to iTunes, you're no longer just sending a CD with your release cover or anything. You have to essentially conform entirely to their specifications. Otherwise, they wouldn't want to even take it on. In addition to that, all these partners, because they are you know, in growth mode and have limited capacity in terms of dealing with people individually, they would rather not uh, engage with an artist directly with an agreement. So they automatically refer them to companies like us as well. So when someone signs up to us, you know, we try to make it as easy as possible as a process. So you sign up, you get access to our platform and you upload your album in one place but then you can select what outlets you'd like to choose and one you'd like for it to, uh, to deliver. Once that's done and you submit the album to us, then our system and our staff essentially does everything automatically for you. We'll take your audio and encode it to what Apple needs, to what Spotify needs, Amazon, et cetera. We'll take your release cover, resize it automatically, and then we'll create what is a kind of metadata file uh, associated with your release, which typically is an XML file. And every one of those XML metadata files are different. So being an artist that's listening, I hope I didn't bore anybody, but um, essentially for an artist to do that individually, unless you have some programming experience, can be challenging. And if you're able to programming wise, you may not be able to still get there if you don't have a direct agreement with the supplier. So that's really one of the main reasons how people need us. And in a quick nutshell, what we kind of do in terms of a system uh, to distribute the music. I imagine one of the challenges, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the uh, change in specifications. I imagine they change quite often. Um, but what are some of the other challenges you face as, as a distributor? Yeah, so oftentimes, you know, when we deliver music, it's up to obviously the partner we're delivering to to take it and ingest it as quickly as possible. One of the challenges is that there's unforeseen problems that occur. You know, servers may go down or something happens in the process on their end. And understandably so, an artist may be frustrated with us if the release didn't come out on time and so forth. So that's always a challenge and continues to be. However, I do think that things will get better over time with better connectivity and so forth. The other challenge is honestly royalty data reporting. Uh, with streaming being so popular, it is a considerable amount of more data than it was on the download side. So if your song is being played essentially a million times, it is potentially 10 million rows of an Excel file, for example. Uh, and that can be really difficult to interpret and to load, and even for a user to kind of read and understand. So um, that's kind of happening industry-wide. There's a lot of systems that are out there, and even some that we've built to streamline. Uh, but that still is a challenge, because even trying to get more real-time data can be difficult, and particularly on the streaming side is difficult, because you don't even know what you're going to make as far as a dollar or uh, you know New Zealand dollar uh, amount until the uh, the time comes. You know. Sebastian Lintz talked about blockchain technology, as in apparently that's going to be helpful when it starts gaining mass adoption. Have you have you looked into that? Yeah, we're just kind of in the infancy stage there. I think even just blockchain in and of itself is something that will have a big change in the industry. Uh, however, I've talked to people that are much more knowledgeable and kind of on the front lines of it, and even they feel that it's going to take a considerable longer amount of time for it to happen. Uh, I think things that are occurring in current events, you know, like Bitcoin having growth is kind of going to give people more confidence that something like blockchain could work since it's attached to it. Um, but 
at the moment we're sort of in an infancy stage and kind of trying to talk to a few people to properly understand it and see how we as a middleman, so to speak, fit in the process. Is there money to be made on streaming platforms like Spotify? Is there enough money to be made on a platform like that that can um, make touring or like playing shows unnecessary for some people? Um, you know, for some, I would say so. I mean, we'll have a few cases um, where we have some artists that don't even have the opportunity to tour that are now making a living off of a Spotify or an Apple Music. Um, I do think that it becomes a greater offering for someone that is on tour because now mostly everyone has a Spotify or an Apple Music that we can attach to. And I mean, ultimately, over the years, what's going to happen is there's going to be less players in the market. So over time, the royalties will go up for everybody that's there because there's going to be fewer ways where you can access the music. And I, I do frankly support less partners out there uh, doing what Spotify and Apple Music do, for example, because I think that it could be better for the musician if only a few players control it rather than everyone, in my opinion. It might get a little bit of bashing there, but... Um, oh, I, just, I agree with that, yeah. Touring is still obviously very, very important. It's a business that's totally, you know, uh, different from what we do. And I feel that what we do is at least give something back to the fan base of the artist because when they're touring in the middle of a song... They can say something like, you know, get my music on Spotify. And it's also cheaper for the artist because they can print out business cards now with Spotify codes even. And it'll cost them, you know, 40 bucks or something for a thousand cards instead of, you know, 1500 bucks for uh, 200 CDs or something like that. So, I mean, you've, you've been running Symphonic for over 10 years. It's hard work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what dri- What drives you? Honestly, you know, it's really about getting people's message and art out there. Um, as a company, it's pretty rewarding to see that we'll work with someone in a totally different region of the world that has, you know, a different history, different culture, and a different message that they want to put out there, and that we are, in a sense, you know, what makes that happen. I mean, it's even cooler whenever we've seen some artists. Uh, we had. Uh, an artist by the name of Sunstroke Project, which placed third in the Eurovision this past year. And they're from Moldova, which, you know, it's like crazy that something that is here from our office, uh, at least just from a distribution standpoint, that we had a hand in it. It all credit goes to the artist because it is their art form, but just to even be that sort of beacon and the the delivery for them um, really keeps us energized every day. I think honestly it's about competing with other companies and trying to create a better offering that makes us feel good when we know that we have something that our clients uh will enjoy and will give them a better experience than what they may have had before you know right for sure and what are some of the um if you feel like sharing the biggest challenges you've personally had running the company yeah so i mean as with every employer i mean obviously ensuring that your employees are happy that's a big big thing for us but even still, it's always a challenge because personal things and, and challenges in their lives occur. So that's kind of like a personal one from an employer standpoint. I think um, it's really technical, uh, the other challenges really. You know, we're trying to compete in a field that's now very competitive. A lot more uh, companies are starting to get into the space. Companies that had nothing to do with distribution all of a sudden are feeling like they can do distribution. Um, so that, that sometimes is challenging, but also frustrating, to be honest, because it's 
you know, distribution is not a turnkey thing. I mean, there's little core problems that occur that, that add up over time. Um, so I would say that really technology is still the biggest one, and I think for every company involved uh, in terms of challenge, you know. Do you think, having come from a music background and now been involved in business, do you see any parallels between music or being an artist and entrepreneurship? Yeah, I do. I mean, at least from what I can say, when I used to make music, although now when I listen to it, it doesn't sound as great, um, I always wanted to be really, really different with it. Um, And I think in business, at least again for me, uh, that's the same thing. I want to kind of create a different business the same way that I wanted to create different music. Um, I think also it's kind of interesting because in a way, certain things that we do from a service standpoint are targeted towards particular genres. And as you make music, you're appealing to a particular fan base as well. So I think the creation part from running and launching a service or a product is the same parallel as creating a song. And, you know, you're trying to reach a different fan base and trying to be unique and different with it as well. Because you work so closely with artists and labels, what are some things you see them doing that are working really well at the moment in terms of, say, promotion, marketing, branding? Um, Because I feel like a lot of the listeners could learn from that. Sure. Definitely uh, Spotify playlists. I mean, on our end, what we've tried to do with our profile on Spotify um, is, you know, create playlists based on moods and how you feel. In fact, we're really just kind of going after what Spotify themselves are doing. I mean, they have thousands, I think it's about 45,000 unique playlists now that Spotify themselves uh, have. And really, they're centered around feelings and emotions. So we're trying to look at the same thing, but really focus on our Uh, core client base. So I would say that playlists are really, really unique and and helpful. I've seen a lot of artists have great success with fan gates as well as it relates to uh, playlist and follower growth. So I think those two things are are kind of well uh, tied in together for sure. Interesting. Because I feel like I've seen fan gates drop off a little bit, but that might just be me. Yeah. I mean, what I've seen is at least a few that are continuing to do it right. And the ones that should be dropping off, uh, dropping off, you know. So, so uh, how do you, how do you do it right then? I'm curious. Um, well, I think that, you know, first off you shouldn't make a, I, I did see a funny meme and, and I don't know if it was a meme or actually true, but <laughs> it literally required, uh, a fan to like, like about 40 Spotify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is in my opinion, doing it wrong. Uh, I think you shouldn't restrict so much to someone, um, particularly for labels. I will say that advice because obviously they want to benefit all their artists. I also think um, they don't need to do it all the time, not for every single release or every single artist. I think you want to be selective on someone that has a good fan base, you know, and, and not exactly relating to fan gates in particular. But one thing that I do see, you know, a lot of labels and artists, in my opinion, doing wrong is they use the uh, these promo mailers and the ability to send promos to their fan bases incorrectly. I think when that concept was really first created, it was meant to be giving something to an exclusive amount of people. And I see folks that have mailing lists that are 4,000, 5,000 members. And you, know, you cannot expect any ounce of success whatsoever uh, with that happening. And if you continue to do it, let's say if you're a label artist that puts out I don't know, five to seven releases a month. If you're sending out five to seven promos a month, then you're definitely doing it wrong. So that's one thing that I've been uh, telling a few folks about how to properly use, you know, promo mailers and 
how not to really swamp the world with it, but just to be very selective over what you're wanting to promote and put out there, you know? Yeah, I suppose if you're sending out a lot, it starts to, I don't know, like I get emails from companies and so on, and maybe I'm one of these companies as well. So this is a bit of self-reflection, but companies you send out, you know, a lot of emails per month, you kind of start to just gloss over it when it comes yeah. to your inbox. And I think that yeah. happens with promos as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, even, yeah. Even, yeah, I'm sorry, you go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying like if, if there's a label that's sending out say one awesome promo per month, like picking the best of the lot, I'd be excited to open that. Exactly. Yeah, no, and I mean, even ourselves as a company, you know, we just recently did surveys where uh, we wanted to ask people what they thought. And, and fortunately, they enjoy receiving our emails, you know, which is great. But we ourselves sometimes have to be very careful because we don't want to just send something that could be important. And people have the tunnel vision, so to speak, where their email inboxes are filled and they're not going to pay attention, you know. Um, so I think even ourselves as a company, we're trying to become less email heavy and more, you know, find us on our blog or messages within our platform for you to be able to communicate with us, you know. I think uh, Messenger, I think I think over the next maybe year or two years, Facebook Messenger will become an integral part of marketing, especially for artists. I was talking to Louis Lavella about that. He uses Messenger for, you know, his, his course marketing. But it's fascinating because you can use it just like email and it has like 90, 99% open rate. Made to email, which I is 20%. That, I totally agree. I mean, we were even talking internally just to kind of give folks a little bit of an idea of the future. It's going to take us some time, but to be able to do more along those lines as well. I mean, you're able, you're going to be able to even receive payment through Messenger. Uh, so we were trying to kind of potentially develop uh, applications that can allow you to at least send music and things like that a little easier. So there's a number of different tools that can tie into your core platform. And, you know, the fact of the matter is Facebook is so powerful that you have to be tapped into it. Otherwise, you're going to be out, you know. 100%, 100%. Here's an interesting question because I've had a few people email me um, or sure. just ask me questions, you know, hey, Sam, I'm thinking of starting up a label I've been producing for multiple years. Um, I want to make some more money. Uh, <laughs> what what advice would you give me? I can't respond to those emails because I'm never on a label and I, sure. don't, I don't actually want to because maybe I just have some preconceived notions about how difficult it will be. Yeah, but, and- it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, so why is it difficult, and what advice would you give to those people, even if that advice is don't do it? Right. Well, first, I would say my piece of advice is first know that you may not be successful right away. I think if you're getting into music to make money, that's something you have to get out of your head right away because sometimes it just happens and it takes a long time i mean you're not it'll take you about maybe five ten years to be an overnight success you know what i'm saying it's something that i'm saying to a lot of folks so be humble about it it is difficult because you know as a label i tell people you want to treat it like a business you know and, and a label is not just you yourself as an artist but you really do want to have an actual plan to release music and you know relationships out there that you can have to actually benefit any potential artists that you work with. So if you don't have a lot of those, it's going to be quite difficult. What I recommend, you know, anybody that is an artist that just says, hey, I want to start a label, uh, is really just consider doing it yourself. I mean, that's why we created potentially, or that's why we created uh, artist plans, you know, so that way you're able to necessarily, you know, you're not, 
you don't have to create a label to put your music out there and it kind of still feels like it is a label, right? And you can still work with other artists, but you don't have to sort of sit here and, and run your own brand and your own social because as an artist running their own label, you essentially have two of everything. You have your social media, your label social media. You have payments to your artists and then you have you know your net profits to the label and it's just kind of you're adding more work where you may not be ready. I think the music industry takes time and, and it takes consistency and a lot of relationships. So I've been telling a few folks that if you're strictly an artist, you know, really kind of ride that wave and, and work with multiple labels, um, only labels that you feel uh, kind of stand by your core values and are able to actually compensate you either through for sure royalties or at least advances and so forth. So you wouldn't recommend say 360 contracts to artists? Um, it, that's one of those case by case deals, but I think, you know, that's kind of changing a lot now as well. Uh, from what we're seeing, even, you know, some labels are not even taking in new artists. You know, they're, they're really the ones that are, again, scouting talent. And what they're looking for is somebody that's already have a, having a fan base. That extends from major on down to independence. I think no one wants to help develop an artist. They just want to take somebody in that has already got a loyal fan base. Yeah, I find that kind of unfortunate because I think there's a lot of uh, talented artists out there who, who perhaps don't have the entrepreneurial mind or like ability to market themselves and if they had someone alongside them who could develop that side of them it would be awesome um because i've seen that happen a lot too yeah i mean for us what we try to tell people is you know first have a very you know humble expectation of what may occur you know understand that your music may be great but unfortunately we live in a world of saturation so it may not be listened to and we try to preach a lot of educational resources, a lot of tips that are DIY to where, you know, you don't have to go off and spend money for this knowledge. You know, we do that for free. We do video editorial content. And, and even obviously in our support, we try to give as much direction as possible. Um, I think that we're a company that tries its best to do that. It's very difficult for us to do it for everyone, to be frank. Uh, but we're able to say, you know, let's know what you're about and we'll give you some feedback there. And really you know if you're consistent about it and if you're trying to to put out good quality product you know things can happen and i think it's important for people not to get discouraged if it doesn't right away you know 100 percent. and i think if you go in with that expectation of this may not work out like you've talked about repeatedly and that humility um any kind of success that does happen is is awesome because i do feel there is and maybe it's just because there's a lot of younger producers there's a sense of entitlement somewhat in the scene it's like this person did it he's 16 years old as well he's dutch i'm dutch i'm 16 (laughs) so this should happen to me but uh but it's not like that i mean the music industry is massive um and i think there's a certain amount of luck involved definitely yeah i mean you know you if you really kind of research the stories of you know calvin harris and a few of those guys i mean it, it wasn't easy for them and they were literally in the same position that you you know any artist listening may be in but i think that they they wanted to get to that certain point and they certainly worked hard for it and they built relationships in order to to get to that point and their music even though some people may not agree with the styles you know was good enough to get noticed so i think it's always like i just preach humility consistency and quality uh and then that side of that branding and, and proper you know a professional 
image uh, as key important things that artists need to focus on. Talk about consistency for a moment, because I, I think that's crucial. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from a label perspective, it's the easiest to talk about it. You know, if, if you're a label potentially that maybe releases once, twice a year, if the records are great, if you're talking about having major artists, you, you know, you could probably get away with that. I think if you're kind of a newer label that you're working with a lot of independent artists, you kind of want to have yourself, you know, put one to two releases out a month in order for, first off, your sales and streams to kind of grow and for your presence to grow. I think continuing to do that over the course of one, two, three you know, plus years will really help your chances. From an artist's perspective, it's really being consistent on social media as well as releases, but working with other artists that are doing things and starting to maybe reach out to labels here and there and seeing if they are open to your productions. And I think if you're able to sort of build yourself like a to-do list every day of things that you want to do to get your name out there, it can happen. I mean, everything that I've done really in this business, uh, I'm a very big actual digitally focused guy only. I mean, I do a lot of stuff over email. All the contracts that we've gotten, iTunes, Vport, all that, all happen through an email and persistence, patience, and following up and being consistent about it. So it can happen to anybody, but you do want to have a proper expectation. You definitely don't want to send a note to spinning every single day or to ultra every single day. You want to look at labels that are a good launching ground and that sort of have like a, a ladder that you can climb, you know? I love that. And I, I love the to-do list. I heard this, I think it was a podcast interview with, um, there's a guy called Andy Frisella. Mm. runs like a supplement company but he here's a podcast and he was talking about this idea of a power list which is say five critical tasks that you do every day which may not be big tasks like one might be connect with a new person via email or whatever and so there was a guy who ran a consulting company he did that every day one item on his power list was to connect with a new person so he did that every day, 365 days a year for five years. And he said that is the the number one thing that transformed his business. And it's uh-huh. like, if as an artist, you have something like that, where it's like connect with another producer every day or something like that it might be a bit extreme. But if you just do that every day, even when you don't feel like it, like it's going to, it's going to cause things to happen, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to definitely put your mind to it and you definitely want to you know you want to treat it seriously you know what i mean like you can't just be an artist that that makes great music and says you know people should find me if you really want to get to that next step you know you have to do those things and and unfortunately it is a lot of work you know i think now that's one of the 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 issues that occurs in the music industry it's global now and you know in order to be noticed globally you have to do a lot to sort of be noticed and you sometimes have to sell out even though i don't recommend it in order to be noticed do things that aren't your core style but it do you can think, do you think selling out sorry to interrupt do you think selling out actually exists though yeah nowadays is probably more focused to like celebrities as instead of musicians to right. be honest yeah um, i think when a musician does something it's kind of like that's cool you know what i mean you got to do it because the music industry is a lot harder you know uh but like things that happen like like i look at selling out with this whole fire festival thing oh you know, man those celebrities doing those Instagram things to me is just like clearly not knowing what you're, you know, involved in you making the dollars and, you know, essentially not giving a shit afterwards either. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, that's how I look at it now. No, I, I agree. I just think I, I see some people or some artists 
they transition into um different genres and they get called sellouts and it's like you see it happen a lot with the trance guys or it's happened a lot over the past i don't know five years where the trance scene is kind of declined and they move into like trap or future bass and it's like oh you sell out sell out and it's like i don't know their music is still good and they've still got their unique kind of style in there so i think the way people need to also think is that you know while these people are changing genres to be you know remaining uh relevant what they're still doing is you know putting the name of electronic out there in a different way i mean you know, I'm going to use, and and your fan base here is going to be like, what? And so are some of our employees listening. But I'm going to use a reference from WWE. You know what I mean? Because I'm a I I'm a kind of secret wrestling fan, so nice, to speak. Nice, nice. Uh, and I appreciate the business a lot because you know when you see these wrestlers that have gone out and doing movies and are becoming popular, you know they're also kind of looked at as all oh, sellouts or you're leaving the business. But what people don't realize is that you're expanding the business and you're really putting the brand out there in as many different ways as possible. So when you look at Steve Aoki on Bill Nye, you know, you're wondering like, what the hell is he doing? Uh, Really it's, you know, Hey, you know, electronic music is on a Netflix show and he's getting out there and he's exposing people to the genres and, and, and Aoki gets a lot of flack to be honest. I'm not a huge fan of his music, but he puts a lot of artists on and some artists maybe shouldn't be on, but the ones he does put on are good, hardworking people, just like everybody that's listening as well, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, that guy works super hard as well. Have you seen the documentary about him? Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, it, it obviously made me look at him uh, a bit differently than what I was before. I just thought he loved cakes a lot, and now I realize, okay, that's truthfully working, you know? So, Do you think, though, because... I mean, a lot of people talking, you, you kind of alluded to it about how hard it is to, to break into the scene nowadays. But do you think it's actually more difficult than it was, say, 30 years ago? Because obviously 30 years ago, you had more gatekeepers, you needed to know certain people, so on and so on. Do you think it's harder, objectively? I, I would say it's kind of like yes and no. I mean, I go back more so to kind of like how I was making music in the early 2000s when digital was still, I mean, there was no social networks, none of that. And, you know, to even think of how I was able to put records out in the ways that I was doing it was kind of interesting, you know, and and they were able to sort of happen because there wasn't a lot uh, of accessibility towards it. When digital kind of exploded, it, it's completely saturated things to the point where you know, I believe in certain instances it is more difficult to kind of be known because you have to make your way through the noise. Whereas back then there wasn't a lot of noise. It was mostly about the relationships and kind of having more access to knowledge, which back then was the difficult part. You know, you'll you know I've I've read interviews with like artists that have been around, obviously you know like the legends from back then, and and they all say it's much more difficult now. I think that you won't see a lot more you know, U2s or Madonnas or any of those um, as you have in the past because now there's a new one every single week, so to speak. So that's one of the things. Yeah, so do you think the longevity of an artist's career has has shortened? I do believe so. I think, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing, though. I mean, you see artists that have success but that move on into other things where they're actually becoming more like artist activists as well, where they're benefiting other artists. I mean, there's bands now that don't really perform as bands, but are in the music industry. And I think that that's a good thing for the industry overall, when you have musicians that actually get to run companies, um, and get to be the decision makers, because overall everyone can benefit. And I think that's why 
you're going to see a lot of positive things from blockchain. That's why you're going to see some positive growth from you know streaming providers going forth because a lot of music people are now involved. Um, so while they may not have a long career there, they're probably going to have a longer career in business and in a means of actually changing things. Do you think it's wise for artists to have an exit plan then in that case of sorts? Like I'm going to tour for five years and then I'm going to like put the money into this, this and this. I mean, because I wonder if some artists do, I'm not sure if this is true. I was talking to uh, Mr. Bill the other day and I asked him about this and he didn't agree. But um, I thought that there's, you know, a lot of artists out there who make it big. They do a lot of touring and then they spend the money and then their career just takes a nosedive and it's, it's like, what do I do now? I think, you know, rather than an artist thinking about an exit, they should think about how to make their financial standing, you know, be longer. You know what I'm saying? I think that I've seen a lot of artists that, you know, blow their money and, and then, you know, have that situation like, oh crap, what do I do now? And then they're doing things that are almost embarrassing, which is, is a shame, you know, to see. So I think that people need to have a much more business mindset whenever they're growing. They need the right team and, and they need to realize that it's not just about getting money to spend it. It's about reinvesting in yourself and potentially putting a lot of things aside. I think I don't really have a thought process in terms of, you know, an artist having to exit. I think it's going to be more so in terms of what someone wants to do. I think if someone wants to create music for the rest of their lives and is able to do it, then that's great no matter what style it is. And if someone has the mindset of, you know, I really only want to do this for 10 years and I have this plan to get there, that's cool with me as well in a sense, you know. Business is very similar to that. I mean, I, for me, frankly, I love doing what I do and, and exit isn't really in my mind right now. It's more so just trying to develop cool tools and, and growing uh, the brand and also benefiting artists and record labels as much as I can, you know. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I've got two more questions for you. Sure. Where do you see the music industry in five years or mm -hmm. say 10 years? I think you're going to see much more like AR and VR get involved in terms of concerts and, and touring. I think that's going to be a thing. Uh, I think blockchain will start to develop much more and it will streamline payments and data, which I think is great. Uh, I do see less uh, providers out there, you know, like, you know, I, I think honestly, there's only going to be a few main players and those are going to be the ones with limitless cash, uh, to support them. So that is a guarantee in my book. Um, and I think you're going to actually see a lot more music and a lot more music coming from various territories. And also I talk about China and India every once in a while from a business standpoint, you're going to start seeing crossover into those uh territories and styles as well and i think music will truthfully become global and, and the sound will sound global where everyone's going to be kind of sounding like everyone else in a way uh and even merging different languages you're seeing a lot of that with latin america you're seeing the k-pop band beat out american artists uh on billboard awards so you're starting to already see that happening too you know yeah it is it, it, i think you know even folks in New Zealand, they're going to have an opportunity to be, you know, working with people in Korea and, and sounding totally different. I mean, the Korean hip hop is, you know, really, really dope and it, it has such great influences that, you know, even some of the West Coast sound would love to be on. And I think you're going to see much more of a mesh there. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, that's awesome. Um, final question. What advice would you give to your 18 year old self? 
All right, 18 year old self. Oh man, definitely. Uh, I'm pretty organized, but if I knew now what I knew then, things would be a lot easier. <laughs> you know, um, I think first off, you know, I would say to get a little bit more knowledge over the business side of things. You know, I've had to learn over the years. I mean, I, I went to high school and I did a little bit of college, but it just wasn't for me. So I went into the corporate world and that's where I got a lot of the work ethic and a little bit of the business experience. But I think it's important for me back then to have thought, hey, I could use a little bit more business knowledge because it would have made things progress faster. Uh, definitely be selective over who's involved in the company. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, friends and so forth involved that unfortunately relationships don't always last when business is involved and just putting it out there. Um, so I would say to be selective, be organized, uh, but never lose the same ambition that I honestly still have. That's for sure. So and then strive to to continue to do things every day. So I love it, man. I love it. Hey, man. Thanks heaps for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Uh, where can people learn more about you? Where can people learn more about Symphonic if they want to? Yeah. So uh, SymphonicDistribution.com. From there, you can actually access our blog. And our social media sites so we're on facebook instagram as well is really cool for us because we like to kind of show a personal side to us we're even on snapchat and all the different networks we try to do fun different things on facebook in particular we're putting on a lot of blog uh, tutorials videos same as youtube and also i will tout our help center because you know we try to build our help center not so much as you know symphonic specific but kind of like a wikipedia of sorts of a lot of music industry things. So um, the same way that you access our blogs and find distribution.com right next to the help and you'll see a bunch of interesting and helpful topics from there.